How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. This is a CBC podcast. Wellness. 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 Vitamins and supplements. Ozempic and Wegovy. The detox diet. You sweat out the toxins. I eat more than bone broth and vegetables. I always like try and get a little bit of meditating in. Try out cryotherapy. Corporate wellness company. Any kind of skincare, any kind of self-care. But I take it almost regularly. No wonder your skin looks great. We have a new series here at The Current on wellness. The global wellness industry is worth trillions of dollars. Every day, people are telling you what you need to do right now to be healthy. We're going to help you figure that out. What works, what doesn't, what's worth your time and money. And today, we are talking about full body MRIs. After a bout of prostate cancer, Don Garnier wanted to take control of his health. Getting cancer diagnosis, it kind of made me think that I want to be more on top of my health and I want to take a proactive approach. And so he decided to pay $2,500 for a full body MRI scan at a private clinic in Vancouver called Pranuvo. When I received my results, actually, they came in pretty quick. It was actually five days the nurse clinician or, or the techs, they went through the uh, results with me. I was able to do it sort of on my own terms and when it was sort of comfortable, and I can do it in the comfort of my own home, you have this amazing information and you can review it anytime. Don says the scan results were unremarkable. That's good news. That's what you want to hear. But it was worth the money for his peace of mind. I've had a few health concerns in my life and Early detection is the key for anything, and we live in a world now where getting medical care can be a bit of a challenge. So the more you are on top of your health, the better. If you have the means, you can now pay to get a full-body MRI in many places in Canada. And with celebrities like Kim Kardashian endorsing this procedure, demand has shot up. Dhruv Kular is a physician and assistant professor at Weill Cornell Medical College. He wrote about full-body MRIs in a fascinating piece for The New Yorker magazine. Dr. Kular, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. As you understand it, why, why are these scans, these full-body MRIs, so popular now? I think there's a number of reasons. I mean, I think um, the first is that things like direct-to-consumer healthcare are becoming much more popular. People want to be active consumers of healthcare. They appreciate the convenience uh, of being able to kind of bypass the traditional medical system, which is, often is not uh, the most convenient thing in the world. Um, and these scans kind of promise a, a sense of control. They promise a sense that you're in charge of your health care. You can catch things early. You can be proactive. And maybe you get some peace of mind, even if you don't uh, find anything problematic. I think that narrative is only partially true. I think, you know, the other side of the story is that these scans can sometimes uh, unleash all sorts of problems as well. I mean, there's the obvious issue of costs, but uh, people may experience anxiety. They may receive false positive test results. They may be diagnosed with conditions that might never uh, end up hurting them. They get unnecessary downstream tests. And so when we think about this issue, it's actually a much more complicated issue 
um, than, uh, than some people try to make it out to be. What's the sales pitch that the companies that are offering the scans are making? And the main things that they're saying are, are things around, you know, uh, take control of your health, um, be proactive instead of waiting for things to emerge, uh, and get a peace of mind uh, for yourself and, and for your family members. And so who's getting, I mean, we know that celebrities are getting this, and this is a huge thing. I mean, the, the, the influencers are telling people, we got a scan, I got a scan, and, and, and this is good for my health. But who else is getting the scans? That's exactly right. I mean, you know, these companies are in part um, doing a good job marketing by uh, giving free scans to influencers and then encouraging them to share with, you know, millions of followers on, on social media. Um, but the scans are currently not covered by insurance. And the reason for that is that there's no real evidence that they're going to help you. And so insurers, government payers, they're not going to cover these things. And currently, many of the scans can cost as much as $2,500, $2,500. And so it's really a select group of people that can afford a, a scan like that. And then not just afford the scan, but, but afford kind of the downstream cost that might uh, occur after such a scan. You spoke with one of those clients for your piece in The New Yorker. His name is Ryan Crownholm. Tell us a little bit about his experience. Sure. I mean, um, you know, he had a very positive experience. And, and, you know, one thing I should just say um, before we start is that, you know, while there will be positive success stories, there are also many people who receive kind of uh, no results or um, results that aren't going to change the way that they see their health care or potentially, um, you know, results that uh, encourage them to get follow-up tests that, that don't end up help, helping them. But but Ryan ended up having a good uh, result. You know, he um, was feeling well. He was totally fine and got a full-body MRI, ended up finding that there was a tumor in his kidney and had his kidney removed um, to prevent that tumor from spreading. And, um, and he was one of the, the lucky people. Um, you know, the question is uh, how many people uh, – um, how many scans need to be done to, for one such case to occur? And we don't really know the answer to that question, but we can suspect based on um, you know the available evidence that it's many, many people um, would need to get scanned for, for every one person who has an outcome like that. Now, that's the promise, right? That, that there's something that's lurking in your body that you have no idea is there. It might kill you. And so you have the scan, the scan picks it up, out it goes, and, and you're better off. That's the promise. Um, you know, whether or not that's actually true, I think, is an empirical question that we need to, to sort out. And, um, you know, based on our experience with other screening tests, it's important for screening tests to be targeted. Um, you know, we think about colonoscopies, we think about mammograms. Um, these tests are advised for certain groups of people at certain ages, um, at certain points in life, because the likelihood of finding uh, something that you can actually intervene on and change the trajectory of someone's life in a positive way um, is, is, is relatively high. Mm. Um, when you take a broad brace screening test that looks for everything in the body or tries to uh, in a general population, that's a recipe for having a tremendous number of false positives and potentially overdiagnosis. And so, you know, while I'm, I'm sympathetic to the view that we want to be proactive about our health, I can understand why people might want to uh, know some information about their health at earlier stages. We need to be really thoughtful about how do we do that in a targeted way to give people information that they can actually use and benefit from. Tell me more about that and how doctors see these scans. In your piece, you quote from an episode of the sitcom Scrubs, uh, where a doctor says, I think showing perfectly healthy people every harmless imperfection in their body just to scare them into taking invasive and awesome, often pointless tests is an unholy sin. Is that, a, is that what doctors think? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, that that's a bit of an exaggeration. It was from the sitcom um, Scrubs, as you mentioned. Um, but the general idea is that, you know, when you order a test, um, you should have a reason to order that test, and you should know what you might do with the results of that test. We don't want to, you know, go looking for um, a needle in a haystack. Um, and as one, um, you know, one doctor put it to me, you know, the, the haystack can cause harm. You know, if you just uh, broadly look for um, uh, things uh, in people's bodies without an understanding of what you're looking for, what you would do with that information, what's the likelihood that information might actually help someone, um, you can end up in, in problematic places. And so um, I think the general view of the medical establishment is that um, you know these things don't have a lot of evidence. We should be very cautious before we advise people to get something like this. And you know, currently, at least, no uh, medical professional society um, you know recommends these things mm. as a uh, as a uh, preventive screening tool. I mean, the other thing is, it sounds strange, but not every needle in the haystack is going to kill you, right? You have this analogy that you referred to in the piece, so the barnyard analogy, when it comes to cancer. Can you just briefly explain this? I found this fascinating. That's exactly right. And so, you know, a way to think about cancers, it's not just one disease. I mean, there are many different types of cancers. Um, and, uh, you know, doctors sometimes talk about a barnyard. Um, and so some tumors can be turtles, some are birds, and some are rabbits. Uh, turtles are cancers that basically, um, and you talk about screening and treatment as a way to keep those from uh, escaping uh, the barn. And so you, you put the fence up. And so turtles move so slowly. You know, a lot of prostate cancers might fall into this category, some thyroid cancers. There's a number of cancers that move so slowly slowly, that they're never going to make it out of the barn. So the screening doesn't really help you. Uh, in fact, you find it and you may uh, end up with unnecessary biopsies or other tests. And so there's the turtles. And then there's the birds. The birds are things that just fly out. There's no real way, even with a fence, you're going to keep them in. And so, um, you know, very um, aggressive cancers that you may pick up at some stage, but it's not like we really currently have any treatments or interventions that are going to help you. And then there's the rabbits. And these are the things that can actually be fenced in. You know, this is the reason that we do uh, screening. You might think about some breast cancers. You might think about colon cancers. You do the screening. Uh, you find uh, you find the problem and you can uh, intervene on it uh, in a way that um, uh, would be helpful. And so thinking about tumors in terms of turtles, birds, and, and, and um, rabbits illustrates why um, screening tests may not be uh, uh, helpful in every type of cancer and why we need to be judicious about their use. And so you did this yourself. You had a full body MRI. What was that experience like? I did. I did. And, and you know, my experience um, kind of speaks to some of the challenges with these types of things. And so I ended up getting a, a full body MRI for the piece itself. And, um, and, and most everything looked okay, but there was one spot uh, on my prostate uh, and it was about a one centimeter lesion in my prostate. And these things are usually graded on a scale from one to five, uh, one being probably not cancer and five being almost certainly cancer. And mine, of course, was exactly in the middle, uh, smack dab in the middle. It was a three. Um, and so it's not really clear what to do with this. These are sometimes called uh, incidentalomas. These are kind of asymptomatic abnormalities that are found incidentally and they generate more questions than answers. In my case, um, you know, I needed a blood test to follow up. I'm still uh, in, in going to have to get a follow-up dedicated prostate MRI to really um, uh, figure out what's going on there. My sense is that it probably won't hurt me. I'm still a relatively young person. This is still I'm a relatively small lesion. I may or may not have been better off not knowing about it at all. But but now that I know about it, um, I've kind of uh, had to change my identity a bit from someone who was healthy to someone who is a patient. Uh, and it's something that I uh, need to watch and, and will continue to watch. And that happened. That that change essentially happened when 
you went into the tube, right? Like you go in healthy, you come out as a patient, even rationally knowing that this thing probably is fine, but you can't unsee it. Exactly. I mean, you go in um, and you feel a certain way and, and um, now, you know, kind of flip the default on its head. Now, instead of assuming that I'm healthy and going about my life, I assume that or I know that there's something inside me and I need um, continued tests to kind of prove uh, to myself and to my loved ones that I am, in fact, healthy and this is not going to hurt me. Uh, and so you're right. It's kind of you go in uh, as a, patient, a healthy person, you come out. Um, and as, as someone with a, with a problem, you know, in some cases that might be a good thing. You know, people might say, look, I, I want to know about um, these things that could harm me. Um, but for many people, um, they may not want to know about these things, particularly if in the vast majority of cases, um, they're not going to actually uh, harm the person. And so that's that's kind of the challenge here. You talked to Andrew Lacey, who's the co-founder of Pranuvo, and you asked him about, I mean, it is a psychological toll of these weird, what do you call it, the incidentaloma, this ambiguous <laughs> right. finding, this thing that may or may not be anything. What did he say about that? Yeah, you know, he, his point is that, um, you know, uh, from, from the company's perspective, uh, that you know, they're giving people information early and uh, knowing about things early actually is not anxiety inducing it's something that's empowering uh, that's kind of the, the, the kind of way that they think about it um, and in fact you know they, they have told me that they've done uh, surveys of the patients that they have um, cared for and uh, most people uh, the vast majority of people um, are happy that they got the scan and they don't have a lot of anxiety and so uh, again these are things that that we should be testing kind of empirically we should we should be asking people in a rigorous and representative way you know what is the impact on your psychology after you get a scan like this are you happy are you not happy and you know I'm open to the idea that maybe not everyone uh, feels anxious about these findings some people do in fact feel empowered by them and so um, again this is a this is an issue that we need to uh, understand better uh, through research if uh, these types of tests continue to spread. Are you surprised at the popularity of this? I mean, there are all of these interventions. One of the reasons why we're doing this series on wellness is because there are all of these interventions that are proposed in terms of ways that you can take control of your health. Some of them may be proven. Some of them might just be woo. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but are you surprised in that context that something like this, which costs a lot of money and can have negative side effects, is still really popular or growing in popularity? You know, I'm not surprised. Um, and, and part of that is that the intuitive appeal of this, it, the kind of common sense understanding is, is very obvious. I mean, you know, people um, probably think, you know, why this makes a lot of sense. Why can't you just do this kind of broad screening test and pick up things um, and then we can catch them early and we can head off, you know, the downstream consequences of, of late cancer diagnosis. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, 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 you know, that's backed by, you know, one in a million, one in, you know, who knows what the number is. We don't actually know, but stories that of individuals who caught things at exactly the right stage and, and are better off for it. Um, you know, the other side of the ledger is much more complicated. It's a hard story to tell. And it's often, you know, kind of, uh, tucked away in academic journals and, and this idea that, um, there are all these other, uh, consequences of these types of tests. Um, the number needed to treat um, may be very high to have one saved life. Um, there are all these hidden costs both to the system and to the psychology of people and potentially in the form of infections and bleeding from unnecessary biopsies. That's a much messier story to tell and doesn't have the dramatic impact of you know, a singular story that someone um, received a, a diagnosis at the right time. And so I'm not surprised that these things are, are spreading. I, my, my, my goal in writing the story is to 
help people understand and have their eyes open. You know, if this is something that they are considering, I want them to be aware of um, all the types of things that can happen uh, if they end up um, choosing to get one. And my general view is that, you know, if you're worried about a, a medical problem, if you have a family history of a particular type of cancer, there are often better, more targeted ways to get at um, the information that you want than a generalized screening test like this. It's a really fascinating piece. Um, I'm glad to talk to you about it. I wish you the very best with your own health as well, but thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me. Dr. Dhruv Kular is a physician and assistant professor at the Wheel Cornell Medical College and a contributing writer to The New Yorker. Grab your VIP pass. We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining, this is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We are in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1, back at base. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Dr. Anya Keeler is president of the Canadian Association of Radiologists and has been listening in. Dr. Keeler, good morning to you. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Let's just do a little definition off the top. What's the difference between these full body MRI scans that we've been talking about and an MRI that, you know, the kind that I think people are familiar with that targets one area that's offered in, in, in the public healthcare system in this country? So most uh, targeted MRI is requested by a physician or a healthcare provider for a particular problem or a particular set of symptoms that patients are having. And these MRIs have very specific uh, parameters. So we have special coils for different body parts. We have different protocols, including use of intravenous contrast. So they are very specific to answer a specific question. Full body screening, generally you are put in a tube, as was discussed by Dr. Kular, uh, and a non-contrast MRI is performed and you get what you get. Is there any evidence you get what you get? Is there any evidence that, that this is an effective tool? There are currently no medical associations in North America that Uh, recommend full body screening um, for a variety of reasons, but most of them is because we don't have the evidence that it actually has a positive impact on the population at large. Is there any risk to getting one of these? I mean, again, Drew talked a little bit about the the psychological toll, finding something that may or not be anything, but it lurks in your mind. You can't unsee it. And now it's just, you carry this thing around with you. But beyond that, are are there risks in getting a scan like this? Well, I think the way he put it was excellent. I mean, there are definitely uh, some risks associated when we find something, an incident loma, as he mentioned. Often, they, they, this ends up having additional testing that is specific. At that time, you may require intravenous contrast. You may be allergic to it and not know about it. There can be associated biopsies. Biopsies are done as safely as possible, but they're not without risks. The other thing to consider is that at this time in Canada, we have a a huge shortage at crisis level of human health resources, specifically for technologists in CT and MRI. So we also have a shortage of modern equipment in our country, which is resulting in really long wait times for people who actually need imaging in an evidence-based way. And radiology is a keyhole. Like we can't, you can't usually get chemotherapy or surgery or, or 
management if you don't know what your diagnosis mm. is. And a lot of times radiology is what provides that diagnosis. So it's a keyhole. And there are a lot of people in our publicly healthcare, publicly funded healthcare system that are waiting in line to get their imaging that they actually need. The issue with full body screening for a healthy population is that you know, for these for-profit companies are making money off of you. And if they do find something incidentally, the majority of times these people who were healthy people and are now patients end up coming into our publicly funded healthcare system in Canada. And because we have such scarce resources, we don't have the capacity right now to take on a bolus of people who have non-clinically significant incidental findings, but kind of need them worked up because they've now been found. So, you know, from the Canadian Association of Radiology perspective, our primary focus right now should be rectifying these challenges of human health resources and to expand our equipment uh, for publicly funded healthcare. And then maybe we can look at these technologies in the future. But right now, you know, these are our areas of concern. How would you describe, I mean, tell me more about the, the, the shortage. How acute is that shortage of technicians and radiologists within the healthcare system right now? So right now, in terms of technologists, we are, you know, thinking in the thousands. We are very short. There are, so there the are, th there are thousands have, of positions that thousands. are not being filled. Correct. And in the next several years, because technologists are retiring, we are not able to backfill those positions. Before COVID, uh, many technologists, when they retired, in quotation marks, would still come back casually to do some work. Mm. But now there seems to be a trend because of burnout in general in the healthcare sector that they're just not coming back. So we're having a hard time filling these positions. Um, what, so, what, what does that you know, mean for wait times? If you if you need a scan because the suspicion yes. from your doctor is something needs to be looked at before, as you said, more targeted treatment. What do you wait? How long are you waiting? And I'm sure that the, the, that this uh, the is, there's variation there. across the country. But what's Absolutely. your sense? So the, it is variable across the country, but on average in Canada, people are waiting up to 100 days for an MRI, mm -hmm. whereas most of the guidelines say that a non-urgent MRI should be less than 28 days. So we're waiting three times longer than we should. The same numbers, just a little bit lower for CT. But this is really too long, and we don't want people to have to wait for something, especially when it's medically indicated. Is there an argument to be made, and I just mentioned this in part because of the story that, that Dr. Kular told about somebody who got an MRI scan, they found a tumor, they wouldn't otherwise have known about this tumor, they had the surgery, the tumor was removed, that, that this is a good reason to pay for, for this, this procedure. The, you're paying $2,500, could be a lot of money, but in spending that money, you found out something that you wouldn't have known otherwise, and perhaps you're healthier because of that. And again, as he mentioned, that number needed to treat. So we may have to scan thousands of people before we were able to find one patient that we actually help. Mm. And think about all the other patients who have something that's found that's actually completely benign, but then requires follow-up. Then they have that anxiety. Then they may have to get contrast. And turns out they're allergic, or maybe they have a biopsy and or, they end up with a complication. Or they get into the queue for other, for other treatments and other scans and what have you. Absolutely. But let's say they get a complication from one of these, you know, follow-up imaging that does require something more invasive. You know, think about all that, those people who may negatively suffer from this same test. And then, you know, if we even look at it a little bit more at a meta large scale, if we only have in Canada a certain number of spots and a certain number of machines, certain number of technologists, what happens to health equity among people for those who suddenly 
join the line that probably would not have ever needed to be in that line in the first place and actually don't have anything medically significant, but we still have to work it out. How's that fair for everybody else? Do you worry if people, if you don't have enough technicians in the first place, that some of those technicians could end up going and working for the companies that are offering the private scans? I would love to know where those people come from because you can't just pick somebody off the street to run an MRI machine. If this is a for-profit company and they're charging people, um, presumably they can pay their their uh, employees well, possibly better than what we can pay in the publicly healthcare in the publicly funded healthcare system. With less stress of so, the publicly funded healthcare system. Sure, if you can have somebody popping on and off the machine by themselves, as opposed to somebody who's attached to numerous lines and tubes, maybe have communicable diseases, you're at risk, you know, you can strain your back. That's a tough job, and we really appreciate our technologists. But, you know, if you're that person who has the opportunity for two different jobs, which one would you pick? These clinics are, are, are charging upwards of $2,500 to get the full body scan. People are paying that amount, but what do you make of the price tag? Well, you know what? There's tens of thousands of uh, health-related products that you can buy out there, and it's up to each person how much they want to spend on whatever they're choosing. More hair, thinner, less wrinkles, MRI. Dr. Keeler, we'll leave it there. I'm really glad to talk to you about this. Thank you very much. Thanks very much for having us. Dr. Anya Keeler is the president of the Canadian Association of Radiologists. We did contact Pranuvo for their response, and they sent us a statement from their CEO, Andrew Lacey, reading, in part, we rely on 14 years of clinical practice performing these examinations and making many early, potentially life-saving cancer and disease diagnoses to stand by the efficacy of this exam. He also wrote, we believe that our healthcare system is burnt out because treating cancer and disease late is horribly inefficient and leads to much worse patient outcomes. We hope the approach that Pernuvo is championing will one day be part of standard of care in a transformed health system based around preventative Precision Medicine. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.